into Sound Spirit. This is a podcast where we explore the mystery and magic of music and the wisdom of spirit in our lives. Today, I am so excited to share this incredible conversation that I had with one of the most truly, deeply romantic and expansive artist that I have the pleasure of knowing uh, and calling friend. And his name is Jesse Kale. His artist name is Deep Feeling Magic Being. And the music that you were blessed to hear at the beginning of the episode is from his latest album called Late Night Feeler, which is available on Spotify and iTunes and linked in the show description. Jesse is a multi-talented, multi-faceted musician, producer, writer of several books of poetry through his publishing company that he runs with the author Ashley Dunn called Secret Midnight Press. He is truly living the title of his artist's name, Deep Feeling Magic Being. Originally from Columbus, Ohio, Jesse's had many interesting adventures in music through the YouTube space, through touring with many different bands, and creating electronic music as a young tween and teen. And so you'll hear about his story, his relationship to his work, and how his spiritual understanding and intuition has helped guide and shape his journey. So I'm honored to have him on this episode of Sound Spirit. Please check our uh, show descriptions for links to his social media, for his books, for his music. You will be uplifted, expanded, and brought back into an incredible imaginary escape from your childhood when you enter into the realm of his work. So without further ado, it's Jesse Kale. first time I ever put on lipstick, you know, as a man Mm -hmm. and I showed it off. I felt so validated by people that it became just this recurring opportunity for validation. And it was part of the forming of ego, you know? And were you, were you not feeling that validation before? Were you sort of floating around and... Because I think a lot of artists have this and sensitive people, we have this feeling of our power, but we don't always see it reflected back to us, especially like in the beginning as we're kind of realizing ourselves as different from, you know, where we've come from. Absolutely. So, So you were probably a getting, yeah, maybe ego, but also like 
Yeah, I am different. I am special. I am sensitive. Like I do flow in a different way. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, you know, as as artists and as creatives, like being these deep feeling people, like I feel like we're just born with this inherent sense that there is something special. It's and it's funny because is it is it special about us or is it just special about existence? You know, like and, right, and we're just the ones who can see it a little clearly. Like right. we're just the, yeah, we're <laughs> Do, the messengers. <laughs> I think, and and it really defines people which one they pick. Like, am I special or is life special? You know, wow. It's like the cat versus the dog. Uh, if you feed a dog, the dog thinks that you're God, but if you feed a cat, the cat thinks that it's God. <laughs> you know? Yes, and I know so. That. <laughs> heard that before yeah it's so true so as artists when we're born and these like intuitive sensing feeling people we have to decide like is that special feeling inside of us life itself or is it us are we what's special yeah and And it's it's so yeah i was just gonna say and like yeah you you really start to build your ego on top of that and I, I think you can feel to when an artist does that, when they're coming from an ego space right. or when they're allowing something greater to flow through them and Absolutely. reflect back into the world like, hey, this is you too. Um, I think, though, that many of us have lost the ability to tell the difference. <laughs> totally. Maybe that's like me being... Uh, jaded or again having this sense of preciousness around art that some people don't have but I do feel like you know especially I get concerned with like the younger generation and this would be great for you to speak to because you really are such a anchor and a lighthouse for so many younger people I sometimes feel especially when I was teaching younger students like they can't distinguish the difference between something that has that depth of being and something else they hear on the radio and maybe they can but they just haven't been given the chance or primed with this sense of their own being to be able to tell the difference yeah absolutely I it's funny I actually think about that a lot where I'm like oh wow there's so much art I was sold when I was little that like Mm -hmm. I just tied my own deep interpretations to but really all it was was just, you know, something created and it, it was just a, a marketing scheme. <laughs> you know? Yes. And I'm just like, oh wow, my my the songs that shaped my childhood were actually just written to make me feel that way so that I would give them money. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, so yeah. so exactly what you're saying. And then I get older and now I can see through it all. I'm like, oh no, this is art. This this is from the heart. This person isn't asking for anything in return with what they're creating. This is art. Yeah. And there's so many dimensions for that. You know, it's not just music. Um, Totally. I was teaching an archetypes class this weekend and you're such the perfect person to, because you live this, is that some people compartmentalize art to try to make it practical or they keep their creativity to one aspect of their life. Like mm-hmm. I'm creative when I, you know, sit down in the studio and the rest of the time I'm going to just fit in and do, you know, what I do. 
And I think the true artist, the person who's really living the fullness of that energy signature and what that means for them and how that is correlated to their life force is someone who allows their creativity into every part of their life. Totally. And you are such an example of of living it, of walking Ugh, the talk, fuck. of not trying to act like this ain't what it is. Like this is 24 seven. This mm-hmm. is not a marketing campaign. This is not just to get uh, likes on the Instagram, although that's nice. This is a 24 seven every day of my life operation and a journey. And the work that comes from it is a culmination of the journey. Mm-hmm. So I just commend you for that. Thank you. Um, I think, so, like I said, some people, <laughs> some people might just see you and be like, "That person's dope." But when they get to experience your work, be in your energy, um, you know, hear your poetry, come to your events, be a part of the community that you curate. It's just ten thousand percent the real deal. I'm like that, like hot crying feeling. I'm just like, I'm like, my body's giving off heat right now. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate so much what you just said. Thank you. Yeah, it's so true. And so I want to kind of dig into that journey for Mm -hmm. our listeners. Um, Because again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's all these slow incremental um, ways that we allow ourselves to open into our full being and live that. And, you know, you and I, I'm from Pennsylvania, you're from Ohio. Mm -hmm. We had, I don't want to say a similar background, but we have some similarities in that. Mm -hmm. We didn't always grow up seeing what we knew inside that we could be. Mm -hmm. Um, Although we had some support, uh, we didn't see it. And so I just I want to talk about that evolution for you coming from where you come from. I want to know about the spiritual background of your childhood, the creative background. So could you give us a little of an overview of that? Yeah, sure. Wow. Okay. Going back to like, I feel like there's just kind of pillars that have been consistent throughout my life. One of them, yes, definitely being creativity. The other one, absolutely being like a spiritual side, you know, Mm -hmm. I was born into a, you know, fairly conservative Christian household, but very spiritually active, you know, Uh, lots of, you know, um, it was the like empowered evangelical movement, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody's speaking in tongues and praying for each other, like hands on people are shaking, people are getting demons cast out of them. And, this was just normal because it was taking place in my living room, you know, twice a week. Wow. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, this is <laughs> this is my life, you know, and and yeah. uh, I had this experience when I was four years old, and I was in my basement, and a forty pound weight from my dad's weight set uh, fell onto my foot and broke my toe. Or at least what I thought was, you know, breaking my toe. We had a concrete or like cement floor and this, this weight just crushes my toe. My mom comes downstairs and we're just, you know, broke Midwest family meals on wheels, you know, like between jobs, no insurance. We're not in a good place. Um, My mom (laughs) lays me down, puts her hand on my toe 
prays for it. My pain immediately stops. The color returns to my toe. Like, and I was just so used to being around spiritual activity that this miracle was nothing. It was like, it was, I was like, yeah, miracles happen. Miracles are real. I was just healed. I was like, whoa, thanks mom for healing me. (laughs) Oh my God. Can we? Can we talk about your mom for a little bit? I don't want to. Sure, Mother's Day was yesterday. Let's do it. She really is a magical person. She's incredible. um, Yeah. Can you can you speak to that? So she healed you. Yeah, my mom is. uh, She is a force. She gave me so much of my strength. She's like a Joan of Arc, like to me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it it was funny because um, my dad is where I get a lot of my sensitivity you know which is awesome that's i love that the case that's often the case absolutely is it? yeah so so much of my sensitivity comes from my father you know and mm-hmm. uh he introduced me to so much you know like storytelling and art and things like this but my mom she showed me strength and standing up for something like <laughs> she got she got shit done you know yes. um it was uh it was my example of that. And then moving forward into the church, she became a pastor at one of the biggest churches in Columbus. And she was just in there just making noise for just like women in leadership. She's like, there needs to be more women in charge, more women in leadership. And, you know, my mom was always fighting for fighting for something. And it was yeah, incredible Yeah, and that's still a contentious um, thing, women in leadership in the church now. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about during your childhood, it was even more of a, um, a rarity. So, yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know, and I think it's ultimately why they let her go was she was just yeah. fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, bye. Um, which is just the telling of the church. But anyways, she, uh, Yeah, she was amazing, but she comes downstairs, you know, she prays for me, she heals me and, or well, you know, prays that I'd be healed. And, and for forever, the way that I described that moment was she prayed to the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible loved her enough to hear her, to heal me. And the God of the Bible loved me enough, little four-year-old boy, Mm -hmm. to, he loved me enough, even though I was worth, you know, pretty much nothing according to like society standards or whatever, but uh, he healed me or, you know, not he, but, you know, God healed me. It healed me. Mm-hmm. And, and that just like put this anchor just in inside of me that like, there is something behind the veil of the physical world. And I am participating in this and this is here and it's around me. And I already had examples like that, but this was the most like direct thing to affect me and then you know start seeing ghosts when i'm like six and you know just uh, things just go on from there more crazy church miracles i have so many stories of prayers being answered that are just absolutely ridiculous uh my favorite stories in life to tell yeah you one thing i love about our friendship is that I love hearing that from you. Um, I didn't have, I mean, I grew up in the church, but I grew up in a Catholic church. So it was much different. Uh, And that kind of spirituality, uh, embodiment of spirituality 
was mm-hmm. not the same. And miracles were sort of relegated to the saints. They got to have miracles. Maybe right. you could go to them. But um, I love that about, you know, knowing you and watching your journey is like, you have such this beautiful, wondrous relationship with the universe, with spirit. And it comes through in your work. Uh, Like listening to your work feels like I'm inside of one of those stories Uh, where anything is possible, (laughs) even with like everything, like not, you know, and we're not acting like everything's great either. We're acknowledging all the darkness. We're going into the tears. You know, you have this Mm -hmm. beautiful recording where, you know, we're hearing tears. We're hearing people cry. Mm-hmm. And they're given space to cry and it's elevated to this beautiful, artful, musical, you know, state. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, I still have this wondrous feeling, even in those songs, that anything is possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining that that's probably where some of that comes from for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, sorry, I just totally spaced out thinking about those moments in that and that uh record um that's like and the, the record we're referring to just so the audience knows um jesse is is an artist and his artist name is deep feeling magic being i've mentioned it before and the album is <laughs> called late night feeler and we'll link to it in the show notes mm, thank you yeah <laughs> you know that the what you're saying is like um taking those vulnerable moments and like putting them in there. Like it was so funny. Uh, the, you know, the record opens with me crying for 90 seconds and it's, it's so weird. That recording was summertime 2017, you know, two, two something years before the record actually even came out and it wasn't for the record. I just, I just needed to talk to somebody and I picked up my phone and I started talking to my voice memos because I just needed to be heard because I was so heartbroken and I was so lonely. And I just spoke to my phone and you can hear it actually in the recording. It It's like in this moment, I realized somebody is listening and I start speaking to that person. Yeah. It like the, the attitude changes in, in my voice. I like I hear it because I know myself and I was like oh my god it's I think it was just this like premonition that Mm -hmm. this would become a moment that I was speaking to people in in a in a part of my art later in life uh and sure enough it was going to be the end of the record the very last thing you heard on the record was going to be that and then right at the last minute I moved it to the very front of the record and now I constantly, I pretty regularly get feedback of, I can't listen to your record. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and you know what? I actually have that feeling about some of my favorite artists. Like Bjork makes me hella uncomfortable and I love totally. it. Yes. Um, I, and thank I, you. And I, I want to say too, the summer of 2017, were you in Los Angeles then? That was, no, I was actually, the, the summer of 2017 was, wow. It was the height of my social media boom. Like, oh wow can we talk about that because that is that is definitely a part of the journey because um for those of you who don't know jesse has been embedded in a way in the youtube community because he started um you were kind of making music and working in youtube before it was cool within the creator (laughs) space when it was more diy as things started to get really big Mm -hmm. um the first time you were in la 
Yeah. So I, cause I know you came to LA, I think it was in 2018 because that's where our friendship began. And mm. I had just moved to LA in the like late winter, early spring of 2017. Yeah. And I remember, you know, being with you in your house in Hollywood Hills listening to this record come together hearing you talk about the crying the, the record <laughs> recording of the crying like I as you say this it's like I have this feeling that I'm like in your room with crybaby mm -hmm. in LA mm -hmm. talking about this record so yeah. crybaby being my cat but <laughs> yes, also <me>. crybaby <laughs> cat, very important oh, <laughs> but um talk about that that social media interaction um yeah totally so uh Oh man. So I feel like this is I'll I'll lead into that. Um, but to to take it back even a little bit earlier before that, because we were talking about kind of the the pillars of what I'm I kind of circle around, you know, one being spirituality, the other one just being art and music and things like that. You know, started piano lessons when I was very young. Uh I heard, oh my gosh. So my dad used to my dad loves music, you know, and he would play things when I was in the crib he would put on his favorite band was Genesis and oh yeah you know but as he would put on you know this like either Genesis or like King Crimson or a lot of guitar driven music and I wouldn't react to it but then he would put on there were these two uh well one was uh this guy Tomita and mm -hmm. he would basically recreate uh you know orchestral pieces with synthesizers and like John Bach type of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And he also had somewhere he took like, you know, f um, signals that were coming from different planets and turned them into full songs and like what? all using synthesizers is freaking brilliant. And I got to get tones. him on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm pretty sure he's dead, but <laughs> yeah, we got to channel in his spirit. To that would sound be amazing. Because that, that would be sound lit. spirit. Oh, man. Uh, and then the other one was Kraftwerk, uh, you know, probably the most famous electronic group of all time because they were yeah. the pioneers. Essentially they were German four piece. Um, actually one of the main founding members just passed away a few days ago. Wow. Um, but you know, and anytime I would put on Tomita or Kraftwerk, I would just freak out. I just, I could feel it. I was like a little baby, but I was just yep. like, these electronic sounds are changing my life. Wow, and then, that's so beautiful. Oh, it's so fun. Then, if, you know, I hear my very first ever electronic pop song. It's this Christian artist named Joy Electric, which I think Joy Electric is one of the most like underappreciated electronic artists of all time because he was an absolute mastermind of analog synthesis and uh, sequencing and, and everything. I mean, just absolutely talented, brilliant person. But he made these very candy-like electronic songs that were just bubbly analog synthesizers going you know 150 beats per minute just like flying like way faster than a pop song should be and i just could not control myself i started piano lessons like right after hearing that just so i could grow up one day and, and make electronic music um and then I heard, you know, Eiffel 65, who did I'm Blue Dabba D, and that introduced me to European pop music. Meanwhile, I'm going out buying Ibiza mixtapes and, you know, World of Techno and World of Trance and literally like electronic music and dance music just became my life. Wow. Uh, and in the middle of Ohio. So in the middle of so Ohio. Cool. <laughs> and that was, it was so funny because here's, it was like, I was so disconnected from, any of that 
world, which it, honestly, in a lot of electronic music, of course, like in, in like the 90s and everything, it's a lot of just sex and drugs, you know? Yeah, um, and you're, yeah, absolutely. I know that feeling too, because my experience, my equal experience would be like Led Zeppelin. That's mm-hmm. what what turned me on right away as a kid. I was like, oh my God. That's amazing. But I wasn't, you know, doing like seances and having, you know, orgies and making rock and roll. <laughs> I was a kid in the middle of Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. You no, just have but, this but you just pure know, connection to you it. Know. Yeah. I feel like so many artists, and I love that you said this because this is so adorable to me. And this is like made my inner child so happy as you were like, I can't wait to grow up so I can figure out how to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I had this exactly. feeling as a kid. Of like, I'm not saying like some people look back on their childhood and they miss it. And I actually do get that feeling um, sometimes with your work, not that you like miss it, but that you've actually, again, there's this, you know, the quote that the artist is the child that survived is that you carry that childhood um, innocence and wonder with you. But I actually had this feeling where I was like, no, like I wanted to become an adult immediately so that I could know how to do stuff because I had, I had things to do. I was like, you know what? I got to write these songs and I'm mm. five. You know, it's like, it's not, <laughs> not really, <laughs> I'm not there yet. Or like right. knowing that I I wanted to write about and experience things so I could write about them and being like, well, I'm 12. Like, I'm just not, I'm not <laughs> there yet with it. Oh so my when gosh. you said, I can't wait to grow up to do this, I was like, oh my God, I love that so much. Yes. I was so there. Absolutely. And look at you, you did. I did it. You know, I accomplished. Thank you so much. And oh, wow. Yeah. I'm so grateful, uh, you know, that my life still is, it has a lot to do with music. But this actually leads into a whole nother conversation about music going from being the greatest love of my life to becoming my, the most painful thing in my life. Uh, Because it became my source of money. And it totally robbed me of music. It robbed me of what I love. And that happens to a lot of artists. I, they, please speak on that, please. It's, it's, it was, so as I was mentioning earlier, I, I, uh, before we started recording, I got essentially just unstitched as a person last night. And this is something that has been in the back of my head, but, um, Okay, so tying into like we we are taking our art and putting them into accessible formats for people. And I think it's robbing us of a real artistic creative expression if we're trying to actually create art rather than just be validated in the fact that we are creative. Um, and now it's like music, you know, I. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay, I'm trying to figure out where to start this. So. I'm actually, I'm just going to keep continuing my story from falling in love with electronic music because this is going to get there. Um, okay. And it's also going to get into social media stuff. You know the way. Yeah. You know the way to this so journey. I, you know, my dad, <laughs> my dad gets me my first digital audio workstation, my first, you know, computer software to record music when I was 10 years old. Uh, he gets me Acid Pro or well, he got me Acid Music at the time, which is, you know, a lot like Ableton. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the very early softwares. It was like the underdog software for electronic music producers. And you could download loops and, you know, synthesizer sounds. And I would just sit there and arrange loops for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I just made 
shit tons of music. I remember being in sixth grade, having dubbed tapes of my electronic music, trying to sell them to kids. And they were just like, you made this? And I would put it on. So it's cool. Just, I would have definitely been your friend. I wish I knew you. <laughs> I would have been like, that's my bro. Oh, it's that's so funny. Uh, I, I also have to. Every single one of those tapes. Thank you. I was uh, selling CDs when I was 15. So oh, I know exactly what you Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. You totally get it. Uh, at, this, at this point in time, I was 11. Wow. Um, I know. Damn. I know. So ridiculous. I was homeschooled. And th- I am so grateful for my time period of being homeschooled because I just loved experimenting and trying new things. And I had this kind of absolutely like ignorant bliss in every social situation and in everything I did where I was just like, this is fun and I love this and I love you. And that was just me. Uh, that's and- still you. And thank God for that. Thank, <laughs> <universe> <laughs> thank for you. That. that is never, that's that essence that has never changed. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. It's been it's been challenged lately, and uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get to that maybe. But it's it's I'm I'm redirecting my course because that is me, and that's that's what I that's my nature, and mm-hmm. I've been defying my nature by just I don't know living out of this ego. Uh, anyways, so that's <laughs> a whole other thing. Going back to I start you know. Uh, at age 15, I'm performing at bars around town, selling handmade CDs, and I would make my own merch by hand. I would buy these blank T-shirts and throw bleach on them and, you know, write my name and Sharpie marker on them. And, uh, you know, I would take pants from the thrift store and I would sew crazy patches onto them and put my logo on there. Um, so and, cool. You know, what I'm just a like... death worn one. <laughs> it was so fun, you know, and it was just all fun. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I start doing this, um, you know, go through a series of uh, obviously growing up and heartbreak and love and this and that and waking up to ideas of like relativity and necessity and and purpose and all of this, just like high school, you know, when you start to, I guess, wake up a little bit. And uh, anyways, I get a little further into my career and I'm playing shows all over town all the time and I'm just this little weird electronic whiz kid that just does whatever he wants and um i get invited to years later um start making music for youtubers and basically i had played keyboard for a christian rapper (laughs) and his brother uh yeah the christian rapper his name was john rubin and his brother um Dan had started a company with his at the time uh, girlfriend, Lisa Nova, and they had started this company called Maker Studios at the time. I think it was just called The Station. And it was with a ton of other YouTubers, Shay Carl, Shane Dawson, Phil DeFranco, like all these people. And uh, this was early, early YouTube. This was 2009, 2010. You know, YouTube had only been around for a few years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2010 oh gosh was it 2010 2000 no it was 2011 um i got asked to write a song for this guy ray william johnson he had a music project called your favorite martian i write this song that i'm uh, it is very you know middle school humor you know type stuff and i wrote the song and the song uh they picked it and it did really well you know it got 1.7 million views and you know, 
a few hours, like 17 hours or I don't know, 24 Whoa. hours. And at that point in time on YouTube, that was like insanity. Yeah, um, definitely. I know. I, yeah, because at that time, I, I remember just starting to interact with YouTube. So there wasn't this hyper interaction like there is now. Right. So that, that's still a big number even now. Yeah. But back then yeah. it was like momentous. Absolutely. Yeah. Back then it was like the equivalent of like what is now, you know, 20 million. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, at that point in time, Ray was the number one YouTuber. He had 3 million something subscribers. Um, and then they were like, cool, you did great. Do it again. You know, wrote another song. It uh, did well. Uh, I end up moving to Los Angeles and they give me a music studio, you know, right near Venice. And I'm 21. They gave me a house in California, gave me a, a music studio in California to basically just start producing music for YouTubers. And this was when my relationship with music changed was this moment because I had gotten to that place by being so in love with music that I just did whatever I wanted with it. I made weird electronic music and I just had fun and, you know, all this stuff. And then it became my job, like f not even full time. I was working like 15 hour days, six days a week. And oh, definitely. I yeah. I started drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, this was the beginning of, uh, a lot of things in my life. So, I mean, I'm obviously, uh, coming out of that. I'm still thinking back on it, um, over the past like 24 hours, kind of thinking about a lot of stuff, but this is one moment in my life I've been thinking about. I was like, yeah, I got robbed of, of a lot in that time period, but I'm also super grateful for it. I met some of my favorite people in my life. Uh, Dante, Dante. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, if, if you're listening, check out, give me motion. Absolutely. One of the shout most shout out, give me motion. Yeah. Shout out. Give me motion, motion in the morning, <laughs> motion in the morning. That's his current live stream, uh, that he does every morning. Um, Dante. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I was just talking to him the other day on the phone for two hours and I just was like, there is not a lot of people that I can communicate from like the dark, like the deepest parts of myself, just use the verbiage and language of the deepest part of me. There's not a lot of people I can talk to from that place, but Dante and you are, are oh, two of those thank people. You. That, uh, I'm honored to hear, to hear that. And I feel the same. And, and I, I, as soon as I met Dante, I got that same energy from him. Yeah. Just like someone who just loves and holds space. Mm -hmm. and uh we sensitive folks need that from each other right and we're actually the perfect people to teach others how to do it through our actions so totally so thank you for saying that for yeah absolutely absolutely um i'm gonna i'm gonna jump along so we can get please I'm, do i'm, I'm loving it to... i'm loving this journey we're on I yeah love this it's journey crazy yeah. so i i get to the point out in california where i'm just like a mess. I'm angry. I'm putting on weight because I'm drinking so much. I had dealt with an eating disorder out there because of body dysmorphia issues. Like Calif me moving to California was like the moment, like it was growing up a boot camp, you know, dealing with body image issues, dealing like that's when I started to wake up to like, you know, the way you were raised affected you in these ways, which is when as soon as somebody starts realizing that you just have so much to unpack. And I was like, Listen, oh, God. I'm so glad I came to California in my late 20s because I had the feeling <laughs> I came out yes. here and I was like, if I came out here when I was 22, I would get eaten alive. 
Fuck yeah. I would not have had the same self-respect, the mm-hmm. same value I have and knowledge and wisdom I have. Um, I, I, I can totally see how someone in their early 20s, especially who's coming from an area that's, you know, not a city in the same way, like not focused on this outward uh, appearance and all the things. And I love L.A. I've always loved L.A. Um, it never had that effect on me, but I think it's because only because I didn't come at the time I did and I mm. didn't come in that way that, you know, where I was expected to do something and, yeah. and it came and gave me a whole journey, which we're on now. But I completely, completely empathize, sympathize with that because mm-hmm. I felt that as soon as I got here. And I see that with the young <laughs> kids at the club, because now you and I like now I'm the old person when I right. go to the club. Yeah. I'm 31 and I look and I'm like, oh my God, I just want to give this girl a hug. I want to tell her to love herself. <laughs> right. You know? I just want to like, I know, like, I know exactly what you mean. So thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that. Please continue. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, your 20s are intense, aren't they? I feel like every year of your 20s is like five years of your teens. Well, like, to be. Uh, to be clear, though, I actually have met some people here in their early 20s that are actually doing well. That's awesome. And I think like I was again, I'm I'm referencing archetypes because this is what I was talking about. And I've been doing a lot of reflection on my journey. Mm-hmm. My 20s, I feel similarly that my 20s were taken away from me due to some trauma that I faced and other traumas that that build on that. Right. But I actually think that for for those of us who have this this journey of healing and helping and the healing of the planet through what we do mm-hmm. and who we are, mm-hmm. we kind of it's kind of in our soul's journey to go through some things. So absolutely, some people get it get it in childhood. For yeah. me, it was in my late teens and throughout my twenties. Mm-hmm. Coming out of my twenties was like coming out of a really dark deep depression and i do feel like i lost it i i i was kind of awoken by the hanging out with some people in their early 20s and seeing that they're not being absolutely crushed by life yeah they're not you know being hammered in these crazy ways and going through all these crazy traumas in the same way and i was like wow not everybody has the journey that i had thank god Right. Um, but you and I, we share that. And there's a reason for that, I believe. It's Absolutely. not that I wish, it's not that I'm glad that you or I went through some some difficult things, mm-hmm. but it has been fruitful in a larger picture that's sometimes not easy to see when you're in it. Absolutely. So I will speak to that. <laughs> yeah. No, and I completely agree, you know, yeah. and that's, uh, it's super funny that you should say that because I realize a lot of the people that I gravitate towards and that I, I feel like I can communicate very openly and clearly with like you and Dante, we all our our paths all are like represent each other in different ways and they they're in sync. I feel like in uh, the development of our of our existence and of our soul, you know, as we, you know, whether it's it's reincarnate or or go through things again, it's like going through another section and and we all started around similar sections. And so our paths look similarly. Um, yep. 
We're like, hey, I see you. <laughs> hey, I see you. I see you. I'm with you. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I love Yes. I support you. I see you. I, I'm here to comfort you in any way I can because this is tough. Uh, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. And and I definitely having having a, a respect for your journey and and for what life gives you um, is, is so important because that's a weapon against bitterness and cynicism. And bitterness and cynicism will absolutely punish and destroy you so yes. fast. You will lose yourself to bitterness and cynicism faster than you could lose yourself to heartbreak or anything like that. Most definitely. And that's very ripe in certain parts like of LA culture. Mm-hmm. But I think for artists too, because they're sensitive people, when they get let down, uh, when they get broken down, they can they can sometimes choose that path. Totally. Um, and oh, that's yeah. really tough. It's so tough. It's it's uh oh my gosh, you know <laughs> I, I there's so many uh kind of business podcasts and things like that, and they're like, you just gotta get up again and again and keep trying and you know, failure is just a learning opportunity. And I'm just like, yeah, failure is a learning experience. But like, when you exist so primarily in your feelings, like it is hard to keep trying. Um, Yeah, no, that's true. And I think, again, I do believe that I know for me personally, I believe that part of why I'm here is to, to speak to that and to help people navigate through that. Because I I get it. I mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, totally. I feel you. I I definitely think that is is part of your purpose and I would I would go as far to say that's definitely part of what I want to do as well. Definitely. Um yeah. So, you know, I get I'm, I'm working with YouTubers. Sorry, I'm just like finishing up the story. Working with YouTubers in and off social media, you know, as part of MySpace and you know, early adopter of all social media platforms and uh, being around this thing. And then I started doing a lot more stuff like, uh, I guess, on on Instagram and started getting this attention from touring with various people and, and just basically having people share my profile and what I was doing and, and all of this stuff. Um, and the biggest one was being in proximity of one of my friends' bands, which was 21 Pilots. And, you know, uh, just kind of the association. They had such a, this intense fandom of these deep-feeling young people. Uh, and they, you know, found me and a, a few other kind of people in that proximity and... um I've always been an artist. So like, it's not like they came and just found a person hanging out. They found just me being colorful, weird me. Uh, and you know, it just, they started responding a lot to it. And it was this really intense experience because it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, I was obviously used to interacting with people online because I've been on social media, uh, not at like a, a scale, like, this interactive but more than just like i use this to stay in touch with my family you know i I definitely used it for my art uh you know purpose but yeah i it was intense it was really intense and 
like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, it was like these people almost became like a, a sounding board that I didn't necessarily ask for. Um, it was really weird. You know, like I said, the first time I put on lipstick, they all responded in such a validating way that like I just went back to it. And these things just started to kind of shape this person. Uh, and it was just this shell of validating experiences. Um, just, just, and this essentially comes to just what pigeonholes people, people get pigeonholed because of validation in one format. And they just keep wow. going back to yeah. it again and again and again because they want to feel that validation. They want to feel love. And it's no longer creativity asking for nothing in return. It's now wanting to feel validated and accepted and loved and seen. Feeling seen is when you feel misunderstood because you are such a deep, complex thing, which I, we all are, but having that thing that that, that having that validating experiences that even reflects the experience of being seen. We crave that. Yeah. When I think about someone who's been misunderstood, someone who's deeply sensitive, because I, I know, because I haven't personally experienced this. I don't have a huge following on social media. Um, I'd like to have a bigger following only because I want more people to have access to the work. Right. Exactly. Um, I'm not as interested in that personal validation, not just like because I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it could get to that weird disingenuous thing where I'm not sure about that relationship. I'm thinking of like Lord of the Rings. I was watching that last night. It's like the, the ring of power it corrupts you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's not even a bad thing, because I think, again, what's happened is you're being introduced to the parts of yourself that need more validation from you, yes. need more validation from the um, the real love that's that's desired. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I because I for me personally, especially in my my practice, my spiritual practice and how I advise people and teach students is like even though you might be experiencing something that's negative and you might feel bad about the actions you've taken, ultimately those things that we experience that feel like they're hurting or harming us or challenging us, they're giving us information. It's all information. Uh -huh. Right. And the information is, yeah, I am, I'm falling into the trap of this, this validation of, of self Mm -hmm. um, that's really just hollow, right? Um, Absolutely. While I am sharing something that's genuine, the, the continual process feels less and less like who I am. Yeah. And I can see that there's a part of me that really wants validation and how can I give that to them first? Mm -hmm. So that then every other form of validation is supplementary to this essential validation that I have from myself, from spirit, you know, like yes. that, that has to be the center. Mm. Um, but I see so many people, I had this experience like around 2011, 2012, where like some of my close friends and even someone that I lived with, they were getting popular on like Twitter and Instagram. And it was so interesting because they would post these really spicy 
like bitchy things online, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, politics or this or that or music. And they'd get all these likes for it. And I'd be like, that's not at all how this person is in real life. <laughs> yes. This person's like right. a sweet baby. Mm-hmm. And, but they're getting so much praise for acting like a catty bitch online. Yeah. So they're going to, they and, and what do they do? They keep doing it. And it's yeah. so weird. Like, I remember one of my friends, I hadn't seen her in a while. She came to visit us and I was like, has she turned into like a mean, spiteful person in the last six months? Because that's all her Twitter is. Uh, you know, it, she just what she's what she's sick of, what she's fed up of. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. There's no celebrating anything. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know this person to be a sweet person. And actually, like in many deep friendship interactions, even when we talk about these issues, it's never in this way. Mm-hmm. it's always in a more expansive way like why is this person dulling themselves and sort of folding themselves down to the lowest common denominator of their consciousness right and it's funny because the other person one of those people went on to be really well known and famous and again it's so weird because i'm like the image they're purporting is so different than the person that i knew right the other one actually actually she got embedded in like this clique of of internet famous people between like 2009 and like 2013 she dated one of those people they broke up and she got left out of that clique yeah you know like yeah. she's not popping anymore online <laughs> right and it's so tough for me to see and she got divorced from that other friend basically mm-hmm. that got super famous mm-hmm. and so it was very weird to see i've never been in it but i've been in proximity and it's super weird for me mm-hmm. and so even though i don't have all the followers i do like dante actually said this to me he said your social media feels like i'm just like checking in with one of my friends and like i'm getting to see what my friends are up to like hearing from them hearing what their thoughts are and i was like okay that's me being me mm-hmm. uh you know awesome. and like i hope that 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 resonates but you never know right but um and but the thing is like that the lipstick is part of you but it's it not is. all of you exactly it can't eclipse the enormity of your being because that's a loss to anybody that just takes you for that mhm Oh yeah, totally. And yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't want to make that sound like, like it's not part of me. Cause I mean, I, you know, I used to play with makeup secretly in high school, you know, and, uh, yeah, like, you know, I had this purple lipstick I would put on whenever I went over to my girlfriend's house when I was 15 and I always played with like face pain and it's always been just this expression of somebody inside of me, but yeah, it, it just became this, this, yeah, it was chasing after this validation and it was just continuously building on that. And that led me to, and that was the, the peak of all that was that summer 2017 when I filmed that recording of just feeling so lonely and so heartbroken. And that's the beginning of my record is me just having this breaking point where I'm just like, I don't know what's wrong with me <laughs> I'm sad. Uh, or i can't see what's right in me yet 
Yeah, you know, and it's and it's weird. It's because it, it's come and gone in seasons. I feel like it, there's this, you know, throughout life you have multiple death and rebirth experiences um, as you grow, and uh, that was just you know experiencing something like that. I yeah. am drawn to think of one of your poems right now, mm. and I'm going to read it. It says, "How simple to swim." in a life that we mourn, as a fish only knows the pond they're born. But how great would it be to be set to the sea, a new life for you and a new life for me. Oh, yes. I love that poem. It's one of my favorites. And I think it speaks to that, Mm -hmm. um, that rebirth within you. Mm -hmm. Um, And speaking of birth, you and your comrade Ashley Dunn. Yes. Was this around the time that you guys started to configure uh, what would become Secret Midnight Press? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Secret Midnight Press started about six months before that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you read that poem. That's one of my favorite poems from uh, my new book, Feel. And we'll link to that in the show notes, y'all. Yeah. I. Uh, because yeah, it does, it does speak to that because part of it is it's, there's a lot in there and it can be interpreted a lot of ways. Uh, to me, part of it is just being, letting go of the prison of, of, of everything of, of how you were raised or what you grew up in or what you identify yourself with, you know, it's, it's, letting go of that, you know, and just being like, wow, you know, there is endless opportunities to love. There's so much beauty. There's so much good. There's so much to to see and feel and learn and do. And I am not bound to this person that I have become, you know, um, you know, through trauma and all of this stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like when bad things happen to us, we have to ident- we we feel almost like we owe that event in our life we owe our identity to it we have to identify with that oh that was my 20s yeah. i mean and I, I say this to my students all the time and i i feel this so much and i'm so glad you used that word identify mhm part of what healed me from my trauma cuz i'm someone that it's not that i don't um ex- i don't I don't act like I haven't experienced trauma or that mm-hmm. I haven't been told that I had PTSD or anxiety disorder. Right. But let's be clear. I don't actively experience those things anymore. Right. Part of yes. the reason is because I don't identify any longer with what has happened to me. I understand Beautiful. that my identity comes from something much bigger, yes. much more powerful. Yes. And that gives me compassion for what's happened to me. I stop mm. feeling like a victim and I feel like what I what I refer to as the compassionate observer mm-hmm. of all oh, that is. That. Yes. And and that is so important. So yes. just like you can't get too over-identified with the bad things, mm-hmm. you also I think I feel this kind of hinted at in what you're saying is you can't get too identified with the hype either. Mhm. Because either end of those, because in bringing this back to the ego, the way I think of ego is it's the spectrum. And on one end, it's I'm the shit. 
<laughs> and on the other end, it's I'm shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so being so identified with the the trauma, the victimization, that's the I'm I'm shit. Right. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And then being identified with how many likes we get and how great we are to this person at this moment in time. That's, oh, I'm the shit. Right. Right. And so being the compassion observer in the middle, it says yes to both things and no to both things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, both of those spectrum, the, the those ends are so unhealthy. But they're all a part of us. Exactly. And we don't, yes. you know, like it's when we dwell too long in one or the other that we mm. identify. It's when I you think live out where there, we right? where we trip up. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, when you live out of those places, um, it's so weird when those become your center, like you're saying. Uh yeah. No, I one thing I like to say is your definition, uh, or no, your diagnosis is not your definition. Yes, thank you. And you it's know, not the end of the story. It is not at and all. And it might be the case now and 5 years from now it's not anymore. Right. You can it is okay to let go of identifying in being a depressed person. You don't have to be a depressed person anymore. You say can Say that one more time. You don't have to. This was something I had to go through. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to identify, okay, Linking back to something you said recently, I don't have to identify with being a starving artist anymore. Yes. Can we can we just woo? Amen, Lord. There's power Lord. in speaking these things and and really just letting go be like, I don't have to identify as somebody who was hurt by their dad. You know? Yeah. I don't have to identify as that. I don't owe my life to this trauma. No. You do not. I don't oh, I owe love my that. life to I this. I don't owe my life. Yes, you are blessed with the experience of that. Yeah, for all of its pain and all of its wisdom. Oh, but it is not who you are. And it is not you, who you are. So we're not all. spiritual bypassing. Let's be clear. We're right. not saying that we don't experience depression. Not at all. We don't all. experience pain from our childhood trauma, but we're so much more than that. Yeah. We we're the shore, and those are just waves washing up onto Ooh, us. Yeah, you know, we are. That gave me chills. We're in a constant state, and one thing that's sad is we've been sold that life has to look like happiness, and happiness is just a different wave. It's just another wave. Mm-hmm. Really, we just have to be at the peaceful shore and just maintain that peace as things wash over us. That's what we got to do. Wow, that. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, it makes me think of the Buddhist quote that my best friend, who is a practicing uh, Tibetan Buddhist, she always says, nothing is perfect, nothing is personal, and nothing's permanent. Yes. <laughs> I and just that's watched. where that, that's, that seed of that inner peace is yes. um, it's knowing, again, being that compassionate observer of all of life. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's not about I, I don't even really fully buy into the thinking positive. No, it's not that for me. Like, I don't Mm-mm. it's like the whole law of attraction is like if you're thinking negative thoughts, then bad things are going to I don't no, no. Again, the thoughts are just a function of having a brain and a yes. body. Right. 
like they will come and go exactly as you illustrated with that beautiful image of the shore and the waves. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes the waves wreck the shore, but the shore is still there. It ain't, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's always there. It's always regenerating. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, yeah, it's not about thinking positive. I think that can actually make depressed people feel worse. People yeah. who identify oh, as yeah. having depression tell them they have to think positive and they're like, my brain's really struggling with that. My brain's not running that program. Mm-hmm. Um, then you start the to feel guilt is, and shame. Yes. And that just compounds the depression. It like it's awful. sits it down on top of you. Yeah. It is yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Keep going. Sorry. No, 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 not at all. No, I just, I, I, when I think about, cause, cause my, my students come to me sometimes like, how do I love myself more? How do I do this? And it's like, for me, and I don't know if you can, you can speak to this for your own thing, but for me, it's just, again, having a really deep alignment with who I am. Mm-hmm. And that gets easier over time. So it's easier for me to say that as a 31 year old woman than it was for me as a 24 year old woman. Yeah. Let's be clear. I'm not going to deny that. But it's also, you know, I have been blessed. I've seen many of my lifetimes. Like, mm-hmm. I know that I am so much larger than this, so much bigger than this. Mm-hmm. And in, even if I'm not sure, I just listen to one of my own songs. There's such, there's yes. a huge presence and being inside of my work. Yeah. And I look at my relationships and there's this huge energy of infinite love in everything I do. And so what is happening to me is not it's it can't it can't change that. It can't take me out of that. Mm-hmm. And um so I think more than thinking positive is just thinking or being alive, like fully alive. Totally. And being aligned to the source of where that comes from. For me, I know that that comes from spirit. I know that I'm an infinite being. Yeah. For other people, it could be uh, the richness and satisfaction they get out of being a parent or creating art. I just think that, again, it's so much less about what you do and so much more about knowing who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. I... Uh, just an, a little uh, analogy, I guess, for the thinking positive thing and what that essentially is doing in your mind is it's an out of sight, out of mind kind of attitude, which is not actually dealing with something. If you mm-hmm. have dirty dishes in your ba- in your bedroom and you put them under your bed, you can't see them anymore, but they're still there. <laughs> You're going to smell them. <laughs> You're going to start to, they're going to start to stink. Mm-hmm. It's going to start to rot and you will never actually feel like your room is clean because you know there's Mm -hmm. dirty dishes under there but you're gonna it's gonna be out of sight out of mind but something's there something's not right Mm -hmm. until you like i think it is it's what you're saying it's it's being in the middle it's being able to look the dirty dishes look at the dirty dishes and clean them up or it's not ignoring the bad. It's not ignoring the good. It's sitting there and being able to face what is in front of you and what is there. Absolutely. No, and that's it's also on the the other end of the spectrum. That's why I don't resonate with people that are, I don't know, they claim to be like realists, <laughs> practical. Nihilists. Um, nihilists. Yeah. I'm just like, that's also egocentric and arrogant of you. Mm. 
Mm. That you think yeah. that you are all this is. Sorry, I don't get. I'm not into it. Um, and and then only seeing kind of the horrible things. That's just not true. That's it's fundamentally not true. Yeah. And they think that they're being edgy. They think that you know <laughs> they're being edgy, and I'm just like, no, y'all are just being silly, mm-hmm. silly Billy goats. Like this is not how it is, and you know it. You know it. Yeah. You know when you get a hug from somebody that it makes you smile. Yeah. You know, like, shut up. Just relax. Totally. Just relax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I want to say to those people is just like, shut your mouth. Let someone be kind to you and go from there. I love that. Get back to me in six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just soften your heart, soften your resistance and see what happens. Absolutely. And I just want to stress you, you can't indulge in in all of one sides of those things. It really mm-hmm. does come down to just the the balance. Um, one thing, kind of going talking about depression again, and, and those kinds of things is the like the thinking positively thing, but also endless using endless nurturement as a way to heal that. I don't think is effective. Uh, can you I, speak to that? What does that mean? Endless nurturement. Endless nurturement sure is if you've got somebody that's hurting and you are holding them for the rest of their life. Oh, saying, yes. Codependency. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I think a part of the healing is empowering that person and saying, you can heal. You like you are okay. Yes. You have the strength to stand up instead of just picking them up and holding them in your arms saying you Definitely. are strong making people believe that they are strong is part of healing yes it isn't uh, telling is it? them that it's okay to be weak it is okay to be weak but that keeps them in a perpetual state of identifying as being weak i so i want to speak to this because again you have a way of building community with the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And I I actually feel like I see this a lot with them, or at least with how they perform on social media. This is where I learned it. Yeah. And so, and, and yeah, like for me as a teacher, my students would get frustrated. They'd be like, you know, can you just tell me how to do this or what is this? And I'd just be like, absolutely not. That's <laughs> offensive to you. Yeah. My job is not to do things for you. Mm-hmm. My job is to empower you, like you said, to do this for yourself, give you the skills if you don't have them, give you the mind to ask the right questions to get to the answer you need to get to, not yes. to put it to you and give it to you right? or be afraid of how it's going to make you feel. Yeah, You can handle it, you know, and like stop with the, I can't, I'm not, I'm not the one for that. I don't have time. I am not, I'm such not that teacher that's like, oh, are you okay? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't quit you know smoking this. for you, you know? Yeah, yes, I can't, I can't quit smoking for you. I can't, um, I can't cure your depression for you. I also can't indulge you in it. Yeah. No, but can you talk to that? Because I feel like you're one, you're somebody who knows how to move through that space. And what do you see with the younger generation and, I know you're providing such a space and community for them and helping literally to save lives. Like, let me just be clear. The work that you and Ashley do, the work that you do is helping people decide to stay here. Thank you. And that is so noble. And and for that, that, you know, you are commended 
from all spirits from all directions oh, thank but you. can but can you speak a little more to that yeah totally um i would love to speak to that so um Secret Midnight Press is, for those listening, Secret Midnight Press is a poetry publishing company that I started with uh, one of my best friends in the world. Her name is Ashley Dunn, incredible poet, uh, very deep feeling person. And Totally. She's awesome. We, we grew up together and we just always, always had each other's hands through those spaces. You know, we were the kids that... We're always listening to sad music or sitting off in the corner, you know. Uh, and then we had our other friend, Havila Bennett, uh, join us at this launch. And Havila is one of the most creative, expressive, just colorful, romantic people. Like, wow, she's just this magical person. And we came together later, joined by uh, our friend Jason Turner to help us with printing and uh, preparing everything like that. But we started Secret Midnight Press just as a a platform for sharing, you know, poems from this time period in our life. Uh, a lot of it was early high school poetry and late high school poetry and college age poetry um, to just kind of provide a platform to make people feel less alone, you know, to just take modern experiences and because you can find a lot of older poetry, but really taking modern, uh, modern poetry and introducing it to this younger generation and saying like, you're not alone in, in feeling crazy. You're not alone. Oh, in feeling definitely. This way. And they have so much pressure to contend with, with social media in and of itself. Totally. As much as it's a vehicle to empower them. I know that it's very, very difficult for a lot of them because it combines that awkward teenage tween oh phase gosh. with yeah. being seen you know you and Absolutely. i we had our teen years before this mm -hmm. we had like aol instant messenger yes we weren't posting up photos of what we look like you know that would then be you know, getting likes or no likes or getting comments, good or bad. Absolutely. So I, I don't want to say that they're not reacting to something. Oh, God. You know, they're having these feelings out of like a changing world that, that puts a lot of pressure on them for sure. So, so you creating pressure. this platform is so vital. Thank you. Yeah, I really, oh man, yeah. Social media breaks my heart thinking about it. And I mean, it breaks my heart in a lot of ways, but it really breaks my heart thinking about it in the context of the social life of a young person. And how much, how easy it would be to lose yourself and your value in, in social media, you know? Oh my gosh. And I feel this so much, especially for young girls mm -hmm. or, you know, non-binary women identifying people. Absolutely. Sure. I think yeah. it's tough on everyone, but I think that girls are already, we're, young girls know what it me feels like to be seen um, in a way that we don't understand by, by the other mm -hmm. and to not feel safe in that mm -hmm. for sure. So I can't, I literally, I haven't had the experience of that. Yeah. And I, I, my heart goes out to, to those folks. Absolutely. Oh, it's just like, Oh, I want to protect you. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I know oh, this is going to be I'm so like, hard. If I have kids, am I going to let them get Instagram? I know they're, they're going to hate me. 
Because I'm going to be like, no, no right. video games, no nothing. Exactly right. <laughs> You're like, Please. I may or may not have children. Uh, um, so, yeah, we we started Secret Midnight Press and, uh, you know, started sending out our poetry. And the response was, it, the response was what really, really started it for us. You know, obviously, we were excited to put out books like, oh, my gosh, I had I had always dreamed of putting out a book, you know, uh, ever since I was a young creative person, I was just like, Oh, I want to write a book someday. I had a whole list of to do's, um, definitely put out a book and, but then yeah, the reaction that these, uh, incredibly, uh, deep feeling, wonderful people had to it, uh, young people, they were just like, wow, this makes me feel safe. This makes me feel seen. This makes me feel, uh, less crazy. This makes me feel less alone, you know? And we were like, yeah, that's incredible. That's powerful. This is a very sweet and wonderful opportunity. And this is what we wanted to do with it was we wanted people to feel less alone because we were those weird kids growing up, you know? Oh, um, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, you're not crazy. You're not, I mean, yeah, you're weird, but being weird is amazing. You're, you are so unique and you're so wonderful and you're in touch with parts of your heart and your soul that so many people are missing out on. You cry at the sunset, you cry your favorite song, you feel tingles all over your body when you see your best friend. Like you are a deep feeling person. And it's a blessing and a curse. So uh, we started doing events and, you know, we uh, we started this poetry festival here in Columbus, Ohio called Atlas Black. And the story behind Atlas Black is essentially, um, you know, in mythology, Atlas was the titan that held the heavens on his shoulders. And, you know, you always see him kind of bent over holding a globe on his back. Um but in our kind of fantasy story leading into Atlas Black is as Atlas holds the heavens on his shoulders, he casts a giant shadow onto the earth and it becomes this abandoned space, the shadow of Atlas. And then all these kind of maniacal, bohemian, you know, <laughs> midnight I love hour the world of artists. Atlas. <laughs> it's so fun. Just all these artists, these crazy, the people that don't sleep, your night owls, you know, the 3 a.m., whatever. Uh, the people that are inspired by the moon and they all just go, oh, there's a place where it's always nighttime and it's waiting for us. All these artists move into this abandoned space and they create Atlas Black is what it becomes known as, just this art district in the shadow of Atlas. And we essentially invite people to create characters and come and participate in the world of Atlas Black every year in Columbus uh, you know, dress up, be just the most maniacal, exaggerated version of yourself or don't. It's a safe space. That's one thing we really push for. It's like if you're coming to this event, you have something in common with somebody. They are not your enemy. Absolutely. You, no, and I was so yeah. privileged to be a part of it this last year. It was it so was fun having you there. Yeah, it was an honor. And it was so cool to see the spectacle of everything that went down. And I could really tell that the the younger kids there, because again, my work is not, that's not really my audience so much. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think I've ever played an all ages show. 
<laughs> That's amazing. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so so beautiful to see them and um see them just being together and being magical and having fun and feeling like it was okay for them yeah. to be themselves. Mhm. So special. Yeah, thank you so much. That's another thing that's uh been really funny fun about this experience kind of is uh since we started Secret Midnight Press, you know, we started it 4 years ago. And some of these kids were in high school. Those kids are now in college. Some of these kids were in college. Now they're, you know, in, in the middle of their 20s. The company's kind of grown up with some of these people and this community is still going. And uh, it has been so fun watching the the art mature. The there, <laughs> I love this so much. We had somebody at our first year of Atlas Black um, get on stage and share a poem that was just absolutely just so powerful. And then years later coming, she came back to Alice Black and read another poem. And it was, you could tell like she had grown, she had changed. And it was so beautiful to see it in her art. Oh, it was wow. so special. And I was like, wow. What an honor. Is, I know. What a, I what a beautiful feeling for you. What was that like for you? Oh, my God. Well, so I have a very interesting relationship with Alice Black myself. Um, it pretty much kills me every year to put together. I saw that. Yeah. I was there for that. The hardest working man in the room. I I burn out for months following. I And it really, honestly, like, I've got to figure out how to deal with it better because uh, that's that's part of what I'm learning right now in life. Uh, but yeah, I would just get s down, worn, worn to the ground, and I was nothing. And then the moment, the moment the festival starts, it is just like a gold rush in my skin. <sighs> like it is, I just started like <laughs> never forget the most recent one. I just started sobbing. I was like, I started looking around at it. I was like, wow, this looks like something I would really love to go to. And I was like, holy shit, this was in my imagination months ago. And now uh, it's manifested in front of me. And it almost killed me to bring this to life. But and you did it. It's so amazing. So everything that takes place there is just an honor. To I'm just honored to see. I'm just like, wow, this is so special to me. These people are so special to me. I love every second of this, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it is an honor. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause I could really just keep gushing. It. Well, it was an honor to be a part of it. <laughs> it's you. incredible. And I love too, that you as an artist, you've haven't been afraid to embrace many different, um, mediums mm -hmm. and so i kind of want to as we start to to wind down because i feel like we could talk forever yeah for sure i want to circle back to when you were at that dark night of the soul in la you were dealing with an eating disorder mm -hmm. you were um facing alcoholism mm-hmm what was it that shifted for you? Because that shift led to all of this awesome stuff like Secret Midnight. So oh. so can you just speak to that? Speak to that um, that shift that oh, brought yeah. you to where we are now. Totally. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> One of the most pivotal experiences of my entire life. Uh, I actually I did a podcast a few days ago and I I, I talked about this too, but it's just like it was it sticks out in my story to me. Um, 
you know, when I was yeah, 21, 22, 23 in California, just drinking a lot, dealing with an eating disorder. I went into recovery for that recovery for that eating disorder, you know, um, and I just started gaining tons of weight back, but then I was also just angry and it was just all unhealthy. I moved back to Ohio. I start therapy and it's wonderful. Uh, I'm in and out of a relationship and then it, it just keeps going down though. You know, I'm trying to save it, but the, the ship is sinking. And 2015, uh, I drank so much and I just was in this constant state of self-loathing, uh, mourning the death of my dreams when I was only 25, you know, uh, but I, it just felt like life was over and I was laughing in my own face. You know, I was really just, I was bitter. I was cynical. I was sad. And I just, I drank a lot with a lot of people and it was, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. Like I loved it. I was, you know, being crazy. I was partying. Um, but it was also just like absolutely detrimental to my soul and my life, my body, the whole thing, mind, body, and spirit. It was just abusing it. Uh, I get to this point at the end of the year. Uh, every year on New Year's, something happens on New Year's Eve, and I end up naming the year after that event. Um or the thing that stands out to me is so funny. So 2015, the year that I was drinking, New Year's Eve going into 2016, I'm like, I look up at this like shampoo bottle and this just sticks out to me for some reason. It was just like, I couldn't get it out of my head. It says the year of deep cleaning and like healing or like cleansing and healing. It was something like that. The year of cleansing and healing because this bottle just said cleansing and healing. And I was like, Oh, is this my sign for the coming year? Is this what 2016 is going to be for me? The year of cleansing and healing. And I'm like, whatever that looks like. And so the next day I always try to, you know, do things for New Year's resolutions. I tried to quit drinking. I end up going down to Atlanta for this conference and I started drinking again. As soon as I got there, I didn't quit drinking for more than 48 hours. Uh, I'm so angry at myself. I get back to Columbus after the conference and I drink, I don't know, three bottles of wine, two bottles of wine. And I call my friend. I'm like, come pick me up. We're going to the bar. Go to the bar, you know, smoke like a whole pack of cigarettes. I eat a whole pizza. I bring the pizza home. I'm blacked out for like all of this. I get home. I wake up the next day. My head hurts. You know, I'm overweight. I'm depressed. I'm my blood red. I'm just flustering through my house, just hung over. I go downstairs and I see this pizza box shoved into my trash can. And I see this, you know, 1.5 liter bottle of wine shoved into it. There's a Taco Bell bag mixed in there and an empty pack of cigarettes. And I'm like, I, I am hurting myself. Oh my God, I cannot believe how badly I am hurting myself. And I go upstairs and I walk past my mirror and I have this moment that just changes. This is the moment. Uh, my friend Calvin, shout out Calvin, he introduced me to the concept of just self-talk where you just look yourself in the eyes in the mirror and you just talk to yourself. I walk past this full body mirror that's upstairs as I come upstairs after seeing my origami pizza box and 
you know, disgruntled Taco Bell bag. And I look in the mirror and I look myself in the eyes and I just, I'm scraggly and I'm gross and I just smile and I start laughing. And I'm like, the person that I see right here, this is the person that my family loves. This is the person that every good memory I've ever had has been, has been me. Like uh, it's been in this body. It's been in this mind. It's been in this vessel, this soul. And I am, this is not me. I owe myself a better life. Yes. And I changed my relationship with myself in that moment. I stopped because I would do anything for my friends, right? I would, I give my friend, like if my friend said, I messed up, I would be like, it's okay. We're going to try again tomorrow. I love you. But the last thing on earth I would ever say to myself is, it's okay. I love you. We'll try again tomorrow. And that's what changed in that moment is I became a friend to myself. Yes, that's so important. It's so huge. Yeah. Uh, And I started living like a lot of people put their happiness or or what they want on the other side of the goal. They're like, well, I'll I'll only I'll feel okay if I can get in shape. And it's like, no, you gotta start just start living as the person that you you are, like loving yourself and everything yes. will follow after. Yes. It's not a I'll love myself when. It's I am yeah. love right now. I am loved right now. I love mm-hmm. myself. And so from that moment on, uh, I went a year and a half with no caffeine, nicotine, alcohol. Uh, I also went gluten and dairy free because my body just is not great at digesting things. I lost 55 pounds. I got into the best shape of my life. I wrote my first book. I started Secret Midnight Press. I toured, did a poetry tour in Europe. Like Life just followed after I just decided to love myself the way that I love my friends. You know, yeah, and you love your friends as I one of love them. I can people. say, I love. So you're people. getting some real good love from yourself. <laughs> that is so wonderful. Thank you. I love wow. people so much, and to just let myself be a part of that and participate in that. I don't know. I mean, you know, self confidence and hating yourself, being your own worst enemy. I feel like that is that is so common, and it's so played out too. Yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. I'm over it. Like, I mean, I'm all for people yelling, love yourself. But like, no, actually, like, don't just like love yourself and boost your own ego. Yeah, do that. But also like speak to yourself softly and quietly. Like really be a lover to yourself. Like be patient. Give yourself grace. But also don't con- this comes back to that what i was saying earlier when we started talking about social media and depression and the conversations that people have online don't endlessly nurture yourself don't nurture yourself to death don't make you don't identify with being weak or broken you're not broken you're just a deep feeling motherfucker <laughs> like come yes. on <laughs> that's my it's it's okay like and it's you can yeah, be strong, no. you can heal, you can change. Like it's all in there. It's all in you. You aren't broken. You aren't weak. You're just in pain because you feel a lot. Yes, and I think um 
I really feel like sensitive, deep feeling people are needed on the planet. There's a reason why so mm-hmm. many of us have incarnated at this time. And so, yeah, I really I'm not here to coddle someone out of their journey mm-hmm. and out of their their brilliance and resilience. Yeah. Um, you know, we need you. We need you. You need you. You need you. <laughs> like you need you, you so you have badly. To, yeah. Like you have to step into who you really are. And mm. what I what I always what I realize too is that even those experiences, there's an aspect of me which is untouched by anything. Yes. yes. There's an infinite aspect yes. of me which is beyond all injury, beyond all disease. And that actually my being is always working towards wholeness and balance. So mm-hmm. when I'm experiencing pain, mm-hmm. it's because there's something that needs to be tended to, to, to bring it back in balance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I experienced panic attacks for many years and I explained that and experienced that as the soul is not united with the body. Mm-hmm. There's a balance that needs to come into being so mm-hmm. that I can be all that I am. And so when my body is feeling uh, like it's not safe, it's because it doesn't have all its resources. And Mm -hmm. I need to bring the true infinite aspect of myself home to my body. Mm -hmm. So like you're saying, you have to see that there there is a fundamental goodness within you. Whether you like are able to see it now or not. It is mm-hmm. outpictured somewhere, somewhere in your story. Mm-hmm. And just start there. Even if it's like you said, just being a friend to yourself. Just being, living in the moment with yourself in a in a, a healthy way, you know? Mm-hmm. And getting to know what healthy means. Yes, yeah, right, exactly, yeah. You know, and it's Don't not some, the picture yeah. of somebody else. No, yeah, Looking exactly. like they do weighing what they weigh. Exactly. I Yeah, I definitely don't mean mean that strictly in a physical sense. And I mean full balance, just like, mm-hmm. yeah, with, with patience. Um, yeah, I love what you said. There's an untouchable place in you. I love that so much. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been the, that's the thing that saved me. That's the mm-hmm. thing that changed my life was connecting to that. Noticing yeah. that it was there. Noticing that even as all these, ex- like you're, like you compared it to the ocean, even as all the ex- experiences and feelings came through, there was a part of me that was watching mm-hmm. that saw that I was, I was the, I was experiencing Yeah, and it was just silent. It wasn't judgmental. It was just just watching everything go down. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how do I connect to that part of me? (laughs) Right. That's the part of me that, that has the knowing. Some people call it the higher self, the Mm -hmm. soul, whatever you want to call it. The Atman. And yes. And whether you believe in a higher power, Mm -hmm. everyone has that compassionate observer. Mm -hmm. Everyone. And there are so many fruitful practices and ways of being that will, will take you there. And yeah. and I just want to say, Jesse, um, you know, I'm honored to have you on this Sound Spirit podcast because you really embody Sound Spirit in so many ways. Thank you so much. And, I appreciate um, that. I'm I'm excited because this is another fertile time of transformation for you, 
of realizing more and more of who you truly are. Mm -hmm. So while I'm excited to share this interview with everybody so they can get to know you um, in this intimate conversation. Yeah. I am just so excited for what's to come and however it comes and in its divine timing. Absolutely. So as your friend, as your colleague, as Mm. a fan of your work, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being you and for doing the ultimate uh, gesture of love to the world, which is saying, you know, looking back behind you, seeing other people that are struggling and saying, hey, come on, Mm. come over here. Mm. I got you. No, that is such an ultimate gesture of love and compassion. And um, it's an outpicturing of who you truly are in the world. Wow. Thank you so So. much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being with us on Sound Spirit. I feel like we have more conversations to have and (laughs) more to offer. For sure. (laughs) Together. And so, you know, I'll pester you about that after the podcast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, again, uh, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, Jesse Kale, for joining us, deep feeling magic being on Sound Spirit. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Sound Spirit. If you'd like to learn more, please go to thesoundspirit.com where you can book a session with me. You can take a look at the Inspired Learning community and check out Jesse Kale at Jesse Kale on Instagram as well as secretmidnightpress.com. Remember to like, subscribe, and please share this episode with anyone you know who could benefit from this deep feeling magic we've created. Sending blessings to you. Bye.